Today is Monday, March 6, 2023. It's day 788 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Justice in Jeopardy. I'm joined today by George Tanios, who has finished his sentencing and he is facing another lawsuit. And we will get into that. But I'd like to welcome to the show, George Tanios. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing today? Good. You you have not really gotten to to get out there and, and tell a lot of your story. But now that uh, you're really at the at the end of the original case, you know, we'd, we'd like to to get into, uh, you know, whatever you're able to get into this point. And I thought we would just start with a, a little background of who you are uh, so everybody can get to know you and what your life was like before January 6th at the Capitol. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is George Tanyos. Uh, I live in uh, West Virginia. Um, I used to own and operate a restaurant here in town called Sandwich University. It was very uh, popular here amongst the college kids and, the you know, the local community. Uh, for about 17 years. Um, I had multiple other businesses over time and originally from New Jersey, um, from the same area as the officer that passed away. Um, we're from the same like county. Uh, so it's kind of ironic that all this kind of played out together. It's like a movie. But uh, yeah, so I used to own and operate a restaurant here in town. It was really popular. I worked 80, 90, 100 hours a week. Uh, no days off type of thing. You know, I was very... Uh, in tune with my operation, busy restaurant, multiple employees. Um, I have three three sons. I have a six-year-old. Uh, at the time, he was four. I got a set of twin boys that were six months when I got arrested. They're two and a half now. Um, Elias, Frank, and Charlie. Uh, they're my pride and joy. Um, my fiance, Amanda, who lives with me here. And uh, I've been in Morgantown, West Virginia for... Uh, almost 18 years now. I'm originally from Jersey. And, you know, since this event, my kind of life, my life took a complete reversal of what I was used to and what I was doing. Um, I was arrested on uh, March 14th, 2001. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, I was uh, tied into this situation. Uh, When the feds came and raided my house, there was about 20, 25 of them. One of them was the Capitol Police Chief uh Yolanda I believe her name was she was at my house um I was arrested in my robe I was getting ready to take a shower oh I felt, wow. like, I felt like Tony Soprano I'm like what is going on here <laughs> like really like the movie started right then and there for me you know it's like the twilight zone so um I referenced this to my attorneys multiple times I feel like it's an outer body experience with this whole thing because um I was unaware that an incident happened that day um took me about two weeks to find out why I was being arrested. And once I was arrested, uh, you know, after they stormed my house, doors not, you know, banging, my dogs are going crazy. Um, I am a second amendment, you know, a second amendment uh, gun, gun carrier. And I had my gun drawn coming to the door. I had no idea what was going on, but luckily I heard the words FBI or the letters FBI. And I said, Oh shit, and I put my gun back. And if they would have saw it, you know, things probably would have been very different because my my fiance was at the door. So they probably would have shot shot through us. And, um, you know, that was one of those like six inch differences that have been back in my head. But, um, you know, when they stormed my house, I basically was unaware why I was being arrested. They took my kids out and 
you know, I, all I said to her was, man, to call my attorney, because I had no idea what was going on. There was no warrant. There was nothing. All I saw was all these people storming my house. And um, as soon as I said, call my attorney, put my hands behind, you know, they cuffed me. I was cuffed to the back, but I asked them to cuff me to the front because I had a shoulder injury. And uh, as soon as I said that, I said, you ready to talk? I said, there's nothing to talk about. I don't understand why you're even here. Where's the warrant? Take him to jail. Did they show, did they ever show you a warrant? Oh, I didn't see anything. Wow. Wow. And they did, they didn't leave one behind at the house or anything? No, they didn't leave anything with her. They, they started questioning her. They sat here for about three to four hours questioning her. And uh, she had no idea, no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we laugh about it now because it, it's that absurd that all this is happening. But uh, one of the funny jokes and I'm like kind of like a, a joke maker or at least, you know, find uh, joy and humor. But um, they were asking her about three percenters and she's like, what three percent? You know, we use two percent milk here. We don't use. Three percent. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> You're using the wrong kind of milk. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's almost like it's not going to be far fetched soon. Yeah. Uh, that the, they'll be knocking on our door for using yeah. the wrong percentage of milk. <laughs> so Yeah, that's very possible. But that's how that's how crazy this whole situation is. And, uh, you know, um, you know, she she talked to them for hours and they just they had to have been like, oh, my God, like these people don't know what the hell's going on, here, you know, because she had no clue. You know, I never mentioned anything to her because nothing happened in my eyes that day. I was unaware of um, a situation happening. I was yeah. that far removed from it. But. um, So they know, took you they they, uh, they took you to uh, a jail right there in in West Virginia. Yeah, about like an hour and a half from here, North Central Regional. Did you get a did you get a bond hearing? So I got a bond hearing like a week and a half later. Um, it took me a week and a half, two weeks to find out why I was in there. Uh, I had coin appointment. That's insane. So you you just didn't even know why you'd been arrested for for no, two and a half weeks. No clue. No clue. And I'm I can't just imagine. You know, I, I knew I was I was there and I, the way they stormed it, I was like, oh, man, I have to do something with the Capitol. I'm thinking to myself, like, they're, if they're arresting me, they have to be arresting a couple thousand more people, you know, several thousands more people, because, um, you know, I ended up taking a plea deal to uh, to uh, trespassing. And I, in my mind, I took it when I went up in that area. I didn't go up in the I was on the west side terrace. I, I went up on the, the stands, said the national anthem and pretty much left 20 minutes later. But uh, I just thought to myself, like, it's like storming the Capitol. They weren't telling us all to leave. You know, there were so many people ahead of me, women, children, even people handicapped. And uh, I was like, all right, I went up there. But um, in my mind, I'm like, damn, they're arresting me for, you know, going up there. And I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. And the reason why I didn't know anything had happened after that is because I came back on the 7th or yeah, the next morning. And that's like the weekend the students come back and we're just so busy and it's like, you know, hiring time, prep time. And, uh, you know, I just tune it all out and really just focus on work. Uh, my restaurant was open till four in the morning. So I wouldn't get out till five, six, you know, it's a 24 hour event running this type of restaurant. Um, so I was really just not even not paying attention to anything. And, um, if I had known I was on the FBI's most wanted, I would have turned myself in no doubt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they, you know, over time they were accusing me for not turning myself in you know, all this. And it just didn't make any sense to me. So after I was in jail, you know, I was like a dead man walking. One of the guys, they would clear the hallways for me whenever I was coming through. 
So the COs would clear the hallways and I'm like, man, this is crazy. You know, I'm chained up now leg irons and, you know, shackles and I'm chained around the waist and I've never been handcuffed before. Um, so that was a unique, I don't like being restrained per se. And I, I always thought I was like really claustrophobic until you're actually, you know, <laughs> cuffed yeah. and you can't move. Yeah, and, all that. And, and that's been, that's been the treatment that, that we've heard from, uh, yeah. especially all, you know, the first, uh, you know, maybe 90 or so uh, yeah. arrests that uh, they were, they were put into um, shackles and things that, that other, the other prisoners uh, weren't, yeah. weren't uh, having to wear and in uh, transport also, because of a yeah. lot, a lot of people after being arrested, went through Grady County, Oklahoma mm-hmm. and uh, you know, on the uh, con air, Area. And, and they were they were given you know the black box treatment and mm-hmm. uh you know way above and beyond i think they were going to try to do that to me but uh yeah they were giving them you know i think they call it a uh, road therapy or something uh, i yeah. can't remember the exact term but yeah that, that's what kind of gets you to diesel, break. diesel therapy diesel therapy that's diesel it yeah. Therapy. Yeah, yeah i didn't get too much of that but uh you know what was ironic is when i got I was talking to the people that were transporting me. So I guess they were the marshals and whatnot. And the couple times, three trips that I took and they were like, I'm really sorry what this is happening to you. And I was there that day and I was like, Oh shit. Like what is going on here? And well, obviously at that point I was unaware I was all over the news uh, for about a, a week and a half. I was unaware of anything. Yeah. And they threw me in solitary confinement after like three days. And the warden here was like, listen, man, like, and even he was sympathetic to my situation. I think they realized that I was, you know, not being, uh, I was being portrayed differently on TV. Yeah. So they threw me in, in solitary confinement here um, because uh, of my safety. They asked me, they were like, you know, are you worried about, you know, do you want to go in general population or you want to stay? And I'm, I'm like, why would I be worried? You know, he's like, well, these people want to make a name for themselves. You got some criminals and, you like you can handle yourself, but I, you know, I don't want anything to happen on my watch. I said, all right, man, that's fine. Put me in, you know, solitary confinement. Well, I was in there with the loonies and whatnot, but they were actually were pretty good. You know, uh, it's pretty funny when you're in a situation like that, what humor can actually do for people. So just like a couple jokes here and there. And, you know, and I've been around a lot of criminals over my years, like just hiring people that have criminal backgrounds, you know, working in the restaurant business and, you know, somebody that's looking for a second chance. Um, you give them a chance. Yeah, I did six years in jail. Like for what, you know, obviously nothing like super crazy, but maybe like a drug habit or whatever. So I give them an opportunity. I, I dealt with a lot of homeless people in my shop. So I knew how to deal. I know how to manage people to some, you know, to some extent. So, uh, so I thought I managed pretty well. And the CEOs actually had been to my restaurant. Um, wow. I'm in a party scene and it's like number one party school in the country. So a lot of these people eat at my restaurant and are familiar with my product. So they all like respecting me and, you know, Hey man, I ate at your place before. I'm like, Oh really? What'd you have? Oh, I can't remember. I was too drunk. It's like, Oh man. All right. Well just give me an extra tray or something, man. Like, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it was a unique experience. And um, you know, when you go from working so much to thrown in, in jail and not being able to do anything, it's like a shock, shock to the system. So but uh, once I found out why I was in there, it was like a whole different ballgame. I was like, you know, I almost had a heart attack. I, might, I begged them to take the cuffs off because I was cuffed and my attorneys explained it to me. 
you know, that an officer had died that day and all this. I'm like, this is, you got the wrong guy. Like, there's no way I had anything to do with that. And, um, well, tell, okay. Tell us, tell us first, why did you go to the Capitol on January 6th? What, what so, was your, so I, I've been a Trump supporter and I've been a fan of Trump for decades at this point. Uh, I grew up at his casinos as a kid, you know, the Trump casinos. Uh, my father used to take us there a lot when we were kids and still, you know, we grew up next to Atlantic city. So we spent a lot of time there. So, you know, with his show, I was just a Trump fan. I'm a business owner. I like his shrewdness. I like a guy, you know, I like a boss, you know, uh, I respected him, you know, as far as what he was doing, you know, entertainment, business and building. So when he ran for presidency, I was like, man, this is my guy. I want, you know, if I want somebody to run this country, I want it to be an outsider. Somebody who knows how to build somebody who knows how to kind of manage. And, you know, obviously He's not perfect as far as like, you know, they mentioned his bankruptcy and all that. The guy's smart. He knows how to run his operation. Uh, and bankruptcy is one of those things. It's one of those things you can always rely on. So that that never affected me. But um, being a Trump supporter, I was in, you know, I started speaking out at my restaurant um, quite frequently to my customers. I put some signs up. Um, when the election came around, I had, it, you know, say no to Sleepy Joe, uh, Creepy Joe, say no to Creepy Joe. Um, sign in the window and a lot of people like you're going to turn away your customers I'm like those aren't people I want to eat in my place like I can care less and the reason why I was like that was because Nike and Adidas and NFL and the NBA can all tell me how to vote but I can't say anything to my customers like I have my own audience and um, it kind of frustrated me seeing that and then people telling me that you can't do that you're going to turn away customers I had no issues with customers <laughs> I had one too many customers you know so if somebody was you know, and that's where the phrase, um, I don't know if you knew that they called me the sandwich Nazi. Um, it's from the soup Nazi of Seinfeld. It was that your sedition hunters hashtag. Yeah, that's the, yeah, the sandwich Nazi. So the I had a, him Nazi. In the that's I awesome. met him at a trade show after customers started calling me that I used to have a restaurant in state college, Pennsylvania. And I had a, uh, the line was just, you know, a couple hundred feet long, multiple times, like for hours. And they would, I would, you know, kind of holler at everyone, get your, you know, get your money ready, get your food ready, you know, get your order ready or get out of line. We, get, you know, no time for BS. <laughs> so, so our kids would start whispering. He's like, he's like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld, the soup Nazi. And I heard that a few times and then they would really come up and like hand me the money and step to the side. <laughs> so it was pretty funny and I would like laugh, but sure enough, I ran into the guy at a trade show, the, the actor. And uh, I said, hey, man, they calling me the sandwich Nazi. He signed, so he said, you know, the sandwich Nazi. And he had a couple words in there. So I had it up. So it went viral. That's awesome. And uh, and that's where when I got arrested, like this guy wants to be a Nazi so much that he calls himself the sandwich Nazi and all this like completely oh. taken out of context. And, you know, I understand the term Nazi, but, you know, at this point, you, you know, as a Trump supporter, you're being called a Nazi for the past six years. You know, and I'm Lebanese American. I'm Christian Lebanese American. And I've hired people from all walks of life. You know, I consider myself a minority and I am. But, you know, technically on paper, I'm supposed to write down white like uh, like Italians would or Irish, Irish Americans would. So uh, it's a blurred line for me. And it's always been like that. So. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've been a fan of Donald Trump forever. And people would come to our restaurant. I'd speak up on it and be like, listen, man, you got to vote for the right guy. You know, the country's going downhill or just whatever. 
Um, and the customers would listen to me. And I would tell that they weren't a fan of his, but they loved my food so much that they would hear me out. And, 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 it, and time after time, it's like, man, you know, you got a point. They would tell me, they'd be like, you're on to something, man. I'm like, listen, dude, like, just pay attention. Don't listen to what Fox News or CNN, you know, CNN or whatever these trash uh, news agencies are telling you, you know, whatever your, your favorite celebrity is telling you, it's all bullshit. They're all actors and they're all characters. So that day, I ne- I'd never been to a Trump, Trump rally. I wanted to go. It was supposed to be a big group of us going. Everybody chickened out or had some prior arrangements. And um, my, my fiance, we, you know, I call her my wife because we've been together for so long. Um, she's like, yeah, you should go. What's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> little, little did she know. <laughs> yeah, what's the worst that can happen? So we, we laugh about that all the time. Like, you know, the worst definitely happened. So um so we went and it was a last minute uh decision um me and my co-defendant julian uh we had been friends online i grew up with his family um i was friends with his uncles and his cousins he's a lot younger than me but the media ran with the story that we were childhood friends and and whatnot that's not true we were just friends online but i'm you know his uncles were like my uncles and his cousins were like my brothers you know my siblings growing up it was a big family um, and we're a very tight-knit community, the the Merit, Christian Maronite community in New Jersey. So um, we were friends on social media. We had talked about uh, him potentially coming to work for me and help me run my restaurant because he used to live in State College and he had some management experience. And, uh, you know, he found out I was supposed to go and he was supposed to go. I said, all right, we'll meet there, man. We'll link up. And next thing you know, they all backed out. And he's like, my friend's backed out. Said, and my friend's backed out too. And he said he picked me up. So spur of the moment Amanda can I go you know and I don't really get the okay often so you know it's like once every five years I get the okay from her like yeah you can go ahead and have fun <laughs> you know so because I, I used to work so much that whenever I had a day off I'm spending time with my kid you know yeah um so yeah so it was a spontaneous decision I uh you know according to the facts I ended up um did buy buy uh two cans of bear spray and two cans of pepper spray for our protection um, I was worried about walking back home after the event. I knew the roads were blocked off and, you know, I, I'm a very, uh, you know, strategic individual where like, all right, listen, this is a big event. I'm definitely not trying to get caught out there, you know, you know, with hungry and not being able to get back to my car or whatever. So I tried to figure out a little plan. So and, it was, uh, it was, uh, was it kind of, you know, we'd heard so much uh, and seen so much about, uh, Antifa attacking uh, patriots in in right. uh, previous events uh, in, right. in the DC area. So uh, you know it was kind of preparation for that. Right. Yeah. And I I knew the roads were blocked off, and uh, and I actually had I had two hotel rooms set for all my friends. I figured somebody would end up coming back. Uh, you know, last minute, and I actually invited my uncle and my great uncle. And you know, I still did like. I, time i'm like man i really wish you guys would have went because if we all got thrown in jail together that would have been some story because my great uncle is like this (laughs) old fart and he's really like uh into middle you know lebanese politics and whatnot so uh you know i revere him very much and my uncle too my uncle abdul in uh jersey he's the guy with the original restaurant concept so we're very tight we're like brothers even though he's 10 years older than me um so I was really hoping they'd go. So anyway, I had two hotel rooms and then I found out that they were canceling the hotel rooms because of the event, uh, because of COVID. 
I don't know if you remember that, but the hotels were starting to shut down the hotels because of COVID and the event. So I said, okay, so I got an Airbnb. So I had an Airbnb set up in case everybody was coming. And then everybody backed out last minute. So I canceled the Airbnb. Then we got another hotel room. So that's how like spontaneous it all was. But the DOJ never mentioned that part, but they mentioned the part that, well, I spoke to him and I went and picked up bear spray and I wanted to attack the, you know, they drum up this whole story that I wanted to go attack democracy and overthrow our government. You know, the one day I have off in two years, I'm going to spend my time overthrowing the government and destroying. Yeah, yeah it makes, it makes a lot of that. sense. Yeah, it makes, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. So, you know, like I said, this is like a movie to me and outer body experience, but, um, so it was a last minute decision. And this was like the Trump event. The, you know, in my mind, it was like the Super Bowl of Trump events. And it was like win or lose, you know. Um, you know, so we went and it was like a spontaneous decision. We went, got there early. We walked around. We went and got some food. And uh, we just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And then a situation transpired unbeknownst to me. Um, there happened to be a camera right next to me and that's where the footage was ran that uh you know um julian went into my bag and tried to grab the bear spray and i took it away from him you know i said hold on hold on not yet it's still early and they turned that into a conspiracy charge um that it was that i was planning what did did you what did you mean by not yet it's still early we had just walked up there and i'm thinking to myself like if i'm gonna use this I would be using it at the end of the day, <laughs> not here at this moment. Yeah. And there was a sense of panic on my part. I was just saying anything to take it away from him because he was, he was mad. Um, you know, but I would have probably been mad too, if I was in his shoes where he was, because I was, there was a dis- the distance between us. And after what, I got what was, the- what was happening that set him off? Well, the officers were just basically spraying everybody. And that footage is all coming out now. Um, the one lieutenant, Lieutenant Bagshaw, was just hosing people down. Um, you know, and there was elderly people that were standing right there. Yeah. And we had just walked up and it was like within a minute, we're getting sprayed. So in our minds, we're like, we're just showing up here and now we're being assaulted. You know, it's like the people in my vicinity. Whereas the other people might have been there and might have saw the, you know, some antagonizers and saw that it was like a buildup to some extent. But we had just walked up and we're like, boom, getting sprayed. And I take off running in the opposite direction. And uh, anyway, the bear spray was never used. I took the bear spray away from him. And, uh, you know, he ended up, um, he's on camera spraying. Uh, maybe he got the can from someone in my, you know, my attorney suggested that he may have gotten it from someone else in the crowd. But uh, the night before, I did give him a little keychain ring. Um, so he may have reacted, you know, he reacted with that. We actually never spoke about it, but, uh, um, you know, there was no intent to attack officers or, you know, I would never. Now, now at some point, uh, there was, you, you all encountered, um, officer Brian Sicknick. So was, tell us about that. So I didn't encounter anyone because I was that far away. So I didn't know any of that happened until I got arrested. So I was 50, 60 feet away and I was recording at the time. Um, and they tried to say I was recording the crime. Like I had an earpiece in, I was telling him what to do and, and I was recording the, with the camera, but I, I have the footage. I'm running the opposite direction. 
Lieutenant Bagshaw comes in, starts spraying the crowd. And I've been around spray before and I've, you know, I know what the effects of it are. I actually been around it so much that, you know, Morgantown all night, it's like huge party scene. So we would actually sell little, uh, little gallons of milk, you know, $4, $5, you know, kids would come out and spray. <laughs> Here, man, it's two bucks because the cops would just come and spray the crowd. In wow. Yeah, like they're known for this. Like they don't do it anymore because it's a much more tame crowd. But, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, cops fighting in the streets. Like it was, it was wild. But so I've been around it and uh, I didn't want to be sprayed at that moment or anywhere near it because we'd just gotten there, you know, to the, to the Capitol cold and i know the effects so and there's nowhere to wash your face and water is like the worst thing to put in your eyes and that's you know watching the footage it's like the cops are pouring water and that makes it worse you know and that should be like you know pepper spray 101 so um so yeah so i didn't know i didn't see officer sickening i didn't see any all bleed the same red blood of patriots make honey great again the story of the the sheriff the deputy sheriff in tennessee that was helping the young lady that was being beat by the batons that ended up passing and now he's been in prison for what well, was 513 days the other night every single one of these stories is just um heart-wrenching it truly is yes, we feel like we're servants and we have a product out there that's really cool and we're, we're raising a lot, a lot, a lot of money for uh, for different groups like yourself. Grown and bottled in America. It looks just like President Trump. And is supporting such great causes. Just pure raw honey. It takes a bee 10 million trips to collect enough nectar to make one pound of honey. It's a one pound bottle of honey. I think that that really goes along with what we're doing here. That one bee. Where can people order this honey? It's a very easy site. It's called MakeHoneyGreatAgain.com. Sales code Mel. Off it goes. Within 24 hours, it's shipped to you. It's exciting, and, and we know that this is going to move the needle. Make America great again. So after your arrest, you were put in jail there, and uh, then then you ended up in D.C.? Yeah, so I, I lost my first uh, bond hearing, or... You know, the judge just went off on this script, basically, on how we tried to overthrow the government. And the election wasn't stolen and all this. And I'm like, you know, everyone was shocked of what he was saying and how he wasn't going to, you know, he denied my bond. So I ended up in D.C. and that was like a shot. You know, I thought I was going home. So I was like, all right, I'm going home. I'll figure this out later. But when he said, you know, bond denied and we're sending him to D.C., my attorneys looked at me and said, this is round one. I was just like, holy shit, like round one, like how many rounds is this going to go? Like, I'm ready yeah. to go home, you know, and my restaurant's closed and my girl's like panicking and what had happened? I'm like, I don't know, you know, so they ended up sending me to D.C. about a month and a half later, um, you know, in D.C. to me, like I walked in there and I said, honey, I'm home because I knew it was like all my Trump supporters there. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, this is short lived, like, even though it might be a couple months. I'm like, there's no way they're going to keep me in here because the truth is going to come out, you know, or at least like I didn't realize I was all over the news and this whole story was out there about me. Um, and then when I got to D.C., I, you know, people come to my cell. We're all in you know, our own cells. But there was a couple of uh, um, uh, detail um, trustees come mop and sweep. And uh, one of them was Jeff McKellop and. Uh, one of the other guys, and he's like, oh, they bring me all this ramen and all these snacks and food. You know, I think I'm like, wow, you know, a month and a half, like I'm eating like <laughs> the food out here was so bad, you know, 
uh, what they call it, chow, you know. So when they come knock on your cell, chow, and it's like slop, you know. Yeah. In, in West Virginia, no, you know, no disrespect to the chef, but uh, <laughs> so when they started dropping all these candy bars and ramen in front of my cell, I was like, oh man, it's cool. I said, I actually, they laughed at me. They were like, I told them, I was like, don't worry, man, you guys can take it. I'm going home tomorrow. And I thought I was going to see my bond here and again and go home. Uh, so everything got pushed back, delayed, delayed. And, um, you know, it was unique. So, and then I got denied again and, uh, I got denied again based on me being a threat to, to the public. Um, despite no criminal record, no issues, no, no nothing. Uh, so my attorneys just kept fighting me. And I was really like, I court appointed attorneys here in DC or in West Virginia. And they, you know, right off the bat, they, they knew that the, the, the facts were like very distorted, you know, based as what the media is running with and DOJ is running with, but the facts were all there and they took it out of context. So um, one of the reasons why I stuck with them right off the jump is somebody in the jail came and like knocked on my window, like when I was in the hole and he's like, Hey, Tanyos, you in there? And I guess they saw me all over the news. They're like, who's your, who's your public defenders? I'm like, uh, I think Beth and, you know, I mentioned their names. They're like, oh, they're going to fight tooth and nail for you, man. They're going to fight. You got to stick with them. You know, if you pay money, you're, they're just going to take your money and run. So I was like, all right. I mean, this guy must be a professional. He's, he's on the other side of the wall. So I didn't know what to do, but I, they gained my trust very quickly. And uh, my trust in the facts were there. So they fought tooth and nail for me. I was in D.C. for about uh, five and a half months. They filed for an appeal with the Court of Appeals, and I won that appeal. Uh, three judges ruled in favor of my of the decision that the judge clearly ruled in error by leaving me detained uh, against the Bail Reform Act. So, and that was Judge Hogan. Um, so, and I felt like I was being, you know, like the rest of the guys, but I didn't assault anyone. I didn't, you know, none of that. Whereas some of the other guys, you know, yeah, they may have gotten into physical altercations with the officers, but that was out of frustration and being assaulted first. And, um, you know, I, I've mentioned before to the, to the groups and the people I talked to, like, if I served this country and went to war for this country, or if I was a police officer to some extent, and, you know, I knew the situation I was transpiring that day and I was being assaulted first or whatever, I don't know how I would have reacted. You know, a lot of the people that were around Roseanne Boylan, I was in jail with them. and when they all started talking to each other, you could see that there was a commonality of them. They were all in that, that section and they had all reacted to this woman literally getting beaten, you know, and dying in front of you. So I don't know what I would have did there. I mean, I probably would have fought back 10 times harder than they would because I just couldn't see that happening, you know, even being in that situation. But, you know, in regards to that, I wasn't moving forward because I'm like kind of claustrophobic and I didn't want to be in that crowd, you know, just because you could tell it was like, you know, they were getting pushed in, you know, like that whole situation. So from a distance, but, uh, but yeah, so I ended up winning my appeal and I got out, I got out the day before my birthday, my 40th birthday. Um, so I was really blessed with that. And, uh, you know, I was on house arrest, uh, home confinement for five months. After that, I, you know, they asked to get some time. My attorneys asked for me to get some schedule to get out because my restaurant was closed for 
eight months at that time. So I had to worry about the equipment and the kitchen and all that. So I went and sold, fire sold all that, threw away about $10,000 worth of food. Um, I found somebody to come rent the place. I sold all this equipment. And I was actually in the process of selling the restaurant that summer. And we were going to exit and either move to California or back to New Jersey um, to open another kitchen. I used to have a kitchen in Hollywood, California, um, right on Melrose. And I was looking to franchise my concept. I have a lot of people that copy me and a really unique product, a $15 sandwich that was just immaculate you know people loved it so so uh so yeah so here i am now um after multiple after multiple uh plea deal offers i i denied the first one and then my attorneys really didn't even really kind of mention it to me they were like listen you got a plea deal but it ain't something we're gonna let you plead to you know so um the department of justice ended up about a year later uh dropping all 10 charges i had 10 felonies they dropped all 10. They superseded the indictment and gave me two misdemeanors, uh, trespassing and disorderly conduct. My attorney showed up with the paperwork in front of my wife. She's like, you got to take this deal. They're all like, you know, you'd be stupid to not take this. And, you know, it was a $500 fine. It was part of the agreement. Um, but, uh, you know, the main thing, I don't know if you can hear my kids screaming in there, but. No, no. Um, you know, they, they framed it in a situation where Julian wouldn't be allowed to take a plea deal if I didn't take one. Um, I guess they call it a global plea deal or whatnot, but uh, I really wasn't happy about that. And they, when they mentioned that, I, um, I basically told them that he was going to have to get comfortable in there because I wasn't taking a plea deal. And six months later, they said, all right, we're going to drop all the charges. We're going to give you two misdemeanors. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I still didn't want to do it. But, uh, you know, with the kids, I have another one on the way now, too, in May, um, a D.C. jury and a judge. I just didn't want to risk it. You know, I wasn't afraid to risk it, but with the kids, I just ended up taking it. So and to help um, Julian out, I felt like that was the best situation for him because you know, he was looking at 20 years, you know, the one charge. And so was I, you know, if they got me with assault and be looking at 20 years and just the way things were going. I had many attorneys reach out to me and tell me that this was the right move. This is the government waving the white flag and all this. I'm like, man, but there's still like, you know, I didn't really, I didn't assault any, you know, I didn't disorderly conduct, you know, cause I was yelling USA, USA, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Scary damn. words, scary words. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, what the heck? So I took it. Um, and just to show you how like, crazy the whole situation was that was back in july and that was this past july um then we go up and they push back the sentencing another month it was supposed to be in october and they push it back a month then they push it back another month and i'm like you know i'm back in my mind i'm seeing this as signs as not wanting you know recanting the plea deal because i still had an option to do that and i asked my attorney I said you know if i recant the plea deal what happens to him they said well i guess his is already set in stone like they're already moving you know it's moving forward so, all right. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to take it back. I want to go to trial because one, I had an all-star team attorneys. I had four attorneys on my side. I had a team of about seven or eight specialists, like uh, detectives, investigators, um, interns. I had a team of people. Like I'd go in and off. It was like the all-star team. Like I was so happy. And this was all pro bono. You know, this, their office was like, the boss at the office was like, just whatever this guy needs, just take care of it. Um, so 
they push it back, they push it back. And then finally we go, we go to, uh, to discuss the date and judge Hogan drops a bomb on us and says he's retiring at the end of the month. Ouch. After 40 some odd years, he's 84 years old. My attorneys, everybody's eyes, probably everybody's eyes are like, Oh my God, this guy's retiring. You know, what happens to us? You know, if this gets kicked out to another judge, it might be another six months to a year. So on my mind, I'm like, all right, we're going to trial. I'm not, they keep kicking this down. I want to prove my innocence and the role that I played that day and really what transpired that day. Um, because, the, you know, when we're sitting in jail, when we were in D.C., you know, they were calling me a cop killer. You know, one guy would, would say, here's a fire, you know, there's a fire extinguisher. Keep George away from me. I'm like, what? Because, you know, they said that, unfortunately, you know, may he rest in peace. You know, it's very unfortunate what happened to him. You know, but, uh, you know, initially they said that he was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. Then he was assaulted with this. Then the bear spray. Then this, and we're sitting in jail, and these guys are all like, you know, they're all cracking jokes, you know. Any chance they get, anybody new would come in and be like, oh, he's the cop killer, you know, because they all knew it was a joke. Not not a joke, but you know, like just an absurdity that we were getting. It like, yeah, it was it was a lie. It's a straight yeah. up lie. Yeah. The well, media. Yeah, and the DOJ when, together. When, when the medical report came out, man, the uproar in there was crazy. Everyone was. Boom, 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 slamming. Like, yeah. That's we know awesome. It. We know it. I'm just like, oh, like my yeah, heart. Yeah. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, Officer Brian Sicknick uh, passed away the, the day after on January 7th. And it was, uh, it was finally ruled by the medical examiner to be a death by natural cause. Yes. Um, I, but I uh, yeah, there's, there's others. Yeah. Yeah. Was an acute brainstem and cerebral. Infarct, farts, infarction. Two, yeah. Oh, I can't even pronounce these words. All right. So, two strokes at the base of the brainstem caused by an artery clot. The yeah. term natural was used to indicate a death caused by a disease alone. And if not, and if an injury contributed to the manner of death, it would not be considered natural. But, but do we, but do they, are they considering, um, you know, the Pfizer or Moderna um, as, as an external thing that makes it not a natural death. Uh, so, you know, do we know, will we find we out if Officer words. Brian Sicknick. Those was, are dirty words on the internet here. Those are dirty words. <laughs> they uh, are, they are. And, and will we find out if Officer Brian Sicknick uh, was uh, boosted? Was he triple boosted? You know? Um, well, he, at that time, I think it was just round one, but uh Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think they were laying people off if you don't take it and whatnot. And I believe the Capitol was one of the first places. But, you know, that's what that's one for the, the specialists to, to get involved in and they can um, assess it. Uh, you know, even with this lawsuit now, you know, um, the spray company is going to be involved. Uh, you know, there's videos coming out now with other officers that are, you know, misfiring and, the you know, the CS gas was just blowing all over the place or multiple officers were reacting to that. Um, the kicker, you know, officer Edwards, and this is why I really, like, I really wanted to go to trial because I wanted the facts to come out. But when my attorneys were like, listen, you'd be, you'd be shocked by how many times the facts don't come out when you go to trial, you know, but I would think that in this situation, because 
the magnitude of what they made it out and Trump being blamed for an officer's death, you know, in this lawsuit, basically saying that he subconsciously got into my mind to go attack the Capitol that day. You know, like Julian's not even on Twitter. One, two, I don't listen to no man. You know, I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't even listen to my own father. Like I love my father's death, but I don't take his advice on everything. And I'm my own, my own man. So I'm not sure, sure as hell not listening to a man that I don't even know personally, you know, to go ruin my life and try to overthrow the government. It's just so bizarre. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of things to play that day. And he unfortunately had this stroke, um, I think it was like seven to nine hours later. And, and it says all that, and well, here's what muddied the water for the media. And, and this lawsuit was the, the medical examiner came out and told the media, New York times, I believe, and said all that transpired that day caused his blood clot you know but that's not what it says on the medical report which is the fact okay and sure enough they cremated him right away buried him you know did the whole thing at the capitol all this he's like one of four americans like you know what an honor that is but like you know it had nothing to do with me and it had nothing to do with donald trump it had nothing to do with julian the facts are this man died of a natural cause yeah. But they want to speak. And, and I think it's important to, to point out that, uh, you know, some of the people that were there noticed that something was going wrong with this officer right. and and took him over to the pol the other police and said, this man needs assistance. And right. uh, that was ignored and he was put back on the front lines. I think at that point he may have not, you know, he didn't go back to the front line. It was like toward the end of the night because at yeah. six o'clock when they said six o'clock, when he put out that tweet. And I actually read that tweet to the crowd that I was in, around and said, <laughs> Trump's saying we got to go home because everybody's not all these people were on Twitter. None of these like I can't can't recall anybody that was standing around me that was like, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I follow Donald Trump. I was like one of the only ones. And I, I've been on Twitter for years. So I follow his tweets and I'm like, all right, boom, finally got service. And he says, go home. Six o'clock curfew. We're like, damn, you know, they're locking us down at six o'clock. We, we just got there. I didn't realize I didn't realize that there was that much, you know, quote unquote violence or at least to that extent because I didn't yeah. see it. But when he said go home, we all went home. So Sicknick didn't go back to work at that point, literally at six o'clock like that. I have it on tape. It was like five forty five. They started gassing that whole West Terrace. And everyone was just like, all right, we're out because it's like the cops let everybody stay there long enough. So yeah. Six o'clock cutoff. All right. Just regas them, and and honestly, I'm shocked that I haven't seen footage of that. Like none of that footage is coming out of where everyone was going home. Yeah. You know, because I don't think anybody was arrested that day. I think two people got arrested that day. One of them was Mike Chris Caruso. Roberts. Yeah, there was only like a, a handful of people that actually got arrested that day. Yeah, yeah, um, not many at all. Yeah, not many. I know Lonnie Kaufman. I think got arrested. Poor Lonnie. You know, that's the old man that said mm -hmm. he had Molotov cocktails like this. Yeah. This guy, you know, I want to speak on Lonnie for a second. He couldn't throw a baseball, not, not even a baseball, a tennis ball, like the lightest ball you could possibly, a balloon. He couldn't throw a balloon 10 feet. This man is not capable of throwing a Molotov cocktail anywhere. You know, yeah. we would, I would laugh at him and be like, man, what the heck? Molotov, he's like, they've been in the car for years. It's not even a Molotov. It's like, I don't know why he had him in there, but, you know, he, he got wrapped up in the sting where they, not the sting, but they, where the the pipe bomber left the bomb so they blocked off all this you know the streets 
to search everybody's cars. In my opinion, that's what happened that day. That was set up. They knew Trump supporters were going to be parked in that area. So they would say, okay, you know, whatever. Boom, we're going to rope off this whole area, three, four block radius. Come through and check everybody's car. If there's Trump supporters here with guns, we're going to run with his narrative. Yeah. And that's really what they ran with. And poor Lonnie, anybody that knows him or, you know, just have two conversations with the guy, he's incapable of attacking, probably picking up the rifle and shooting. Like he's that old, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, that's how, you know, crazy this whole situation has turned out because I got thrown in jail with those guys. And, you know, you talk to them and it's like, man, they're just average guys, just like the rest of us. You know, yeah. they love this country, families, business, ex-military. My heart bleeds for those guys because they fought for this country and this country's treating them this way. You know, no, no due process, no speedy trial. I think that's the biggest thing. If there was a speedy trial, all right, let's get this over with. That way you know, because hard time is uncertainty. You know, when you're sitting in jail, you don't know what's happening to you. You don't know how long you're going to be in there. And these guys aren't criminals. You know, they're not career criminals where like, you know, I was out there selling crack and all right, I know I'm gonna get caught one day or, you know, I was part of the mob and got 10 kills under my belt. One day they're going to catch me, but you know, I'm just like, imagine that um, what they would be thinking. Like, man, if I was a career criminal, then you know, it's going to get caught up with you one day. And you know, once you get thrown in jail, you just, it's a different lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Whereas all these guys are just average guys, you know? Um, so uh, I, I always wondered where the footage would be at, at the end where everybody was clearing out. Nobody shows any of that footage. Yeah. And I just find that absurd and, and shocking. Well, but, and, and uh, you know, another thing is, uh, did you ever hear any directives from any law enforcement officers such as you need to leave? Absolutely. Or, not. or was, anything to that effect? Absolutely not. I didn't even, I don't even think I saw any officers like from where I was standing. Yeah. I was probably within no, no less than a hundred feet away from an officer. Yeah. And uh, so we've got, we've got all those, all these people that, that we're aware of who had bullhorns who were giving right. directions uh, that. from I Ray Epps that. on up, you know, yeah. and uh, you know, the guy in the top of the, the tower. Yeah. I mean, we, we had them all over. I heard why that. Didn't the police have, why didn't the police have bullhorns giving people directions? I, I didn't see yeah. any cop. I didn't see any officers or any type of security, even at the ellipse. And I think we, we mentioned that when we were talking and Julian, like, man, there's no cops around here. Like, cause it's because we were there all there peacefully. Right. You know? Yeah. And you know, you're talking about people that are like true second amendment, you know, card or uncard, like in West Virginia, you don't need a card. You have a, you have a, you have a right to, to bear arms in West Virginia without a permit. They mm -hmm. actually just passed the the college campus carry mm -hmm. law. So that's going to be interesting how that plays out. But um, but yeah, so you know, we walked up that day. We went and got a cheesesteak at this terrible food truck. And I'm a food truck guy because that's how we started our business. So I'm like scouting out. We went out there to look at locations, potentially opening up a place there. I had a business partner that um used to play for the Redskins for many years. So DC was a, was a market on our, on our list that we were interested in. But, uh, but anyway, so I always try out the food truck, but the cheesesteak was that bad that I didn't get another one because I was still hungry. And uh, <laughs> I, I keep thinking to myself, like, man, mm. if I just would have got one more sandwich or, you know. Yeah. Uh, those what ifs, right. 
Yeah, because we like you know it was cold out all day, but um, but yeah, so uh, it was a unique day. So yeah, well, after- uh, you know, one one thing that we've uh, that we've seen now that's that's come out, and this ties into what to what you said about about nobody, uh, you know, not seeing any police there, mm-hmm. is that we've now got this footage that's being widely distributed where you see the uh, the Metro police officer mm-hmm. and they're they're standing, you know, away from everyone. And, and he says, uh, we were effing set up. Yep. You know, and he, they were. Yeah, he starts talking about why, why, why are we just being called now? We were set up. And, uh, you know, that's... Uh, they were 100 percent. That's pretty damn. I felt bad for them because, I mean, you're doing your job and you're, you know, we were all set up that day. Yeah. Uh, there was characters in the crowd. I, I had one guy come and push me, try to push me forward. Like, come on, guys, let's go. And I'm like, oh, you ain't pushing me. Like, I was like, you're crazy, man. Like, I pushed yeah. him off. Me. When he saw I wasn't budging, I was like, he just took off and went to the next guy. You know, there was people there with straps that were pulling, pulling the gates with straps. Yeah, so they come in, yeah. they'd strap the gate from the bottom and they they'd run back 20, 30 feet with the, you know, with the strap and they would pull it 20 feet away. Wow. So the guy's pulling the strap and you're standing up there. You're just standing at the line. I mean, I saw this because I was, you know, I got to see the discovery. I, I learned a lot in my discovery that nobody else knows. But, you know, you're you're an old man. This old man was standing there and the, the, the gate gets pulled underneath it. So what's going to happen to him? He's just going to fall over. What's going to happen to the officer who just sees his hand on there, but he thinks it's the guy pulling. So he's falling forward and the cops like, oh, well, boom, spraying. And it was already a tense moment. You could tell there was a lot of people trying to calm people down in the crowd. Oh, where, absolutely. We were, yeah. where we were, uh, we were the last gate, literally the last like section of the West Terrace. Mm-hmm. And it looks like if he's not the last, he's the second, the last officer in that line, Officer Sickman. He's the last guy in the line of the police on the West Terrace. So he was that far removed from like the real chaos and whatnot. And, you know, I think uh, Darren Beatty from Revolver News, he really like, you know, really broke down the story when I was in there. And after I got out, I saw how we broke it down frame by frame and explained it at all but it looked like he may have been cross sprayed um but even now like he wasn't there's nine hours you know and all that transpired that day the medical examiner came out and muddied the water for this case and said all that transpired that day you know caused this issue caused this reaction well all that transpired that day can be deceived or you know um deciphered as you know he woke up he got out of the left side of the bed took a shower he had a cup of coffee maybe he took some medication maybe he you know i don't know i had too many cups of coffee maybe he had two monsters you know i don't know what he had all that transpired that day now the kicker is like even up until the point where we walked up to trial um the night before we found out that 80 or 60 i think it was 80 60 to 80 police officers showed up that day to my trial my sentencing and when that came out in the news, you know, we're just like, holy cow, like, why are they coming up there? Because we tried to, uh, the attorneys tried to get his family's um, impact statement removed from the sentencing because we we weren't accused of that. You know, they wanted to get us for murder. They really yeah. wanted to. And even the FBI, um, the head of the FBI or the DOJ, 
I can't remember his name, but he went on 60 Minutes and said, if we can get them on a capital murder case, we will. You know, if there's proof of that, we'll get them. So he's basically calling me a murderer to the public in the jury pool. And um, hundred it took 100 days here. It says it took more than 100 days to release these results from the January autopsy. The full autopsy report was not released to the public. So we're sitting in jail. We're like, what the heck? So when they finally released that, we're like, oh, man, what a stress reliever. So, But the media still ran with the narrative that we used this bear spray, but the bear spray was never used. The DOJ picked that up from my house. It was never used. And he, my co-defendant, spoke and basically exonerated me from the first hour he was picked up. He spoke to the DOJ and told them I had no clue what was going on and no no planning, no this, but they still ran with the narrative. Yeah. And now this lawsuit is still running with the lies and says in here that I assaulted Officer Sickman and that the bear spray was used. But that's not the facts. Hence why I'm sitting free. Yeah. So back to the sentencing, she, uh, they, they, the impact statement was released. It was crazy. You know, his mother was calling me a cop killer you know, his brother was calling us this and his, you know, his girlfriend, or I don't know what she is, you know, apparently they were broken up for seven months. Then she got in, then they became, she became his girlfriend again. You know, this is after he was laid to rest. And then they got married at some point after that. So now she's his fiance wife. I don't know, but she's suing me now for 10 million. Wait, wait, she, she became his fiance and his wife after he died. That's what it looks like because, uh, She was on the record saying that um, she was his, his, they were on break for several months prior to January 6th. I think they were at a seven or eight year relationship. And then um, now she's saying she's his girlfriend and that we minimize, the media was minimizing her, you know, our, the right media was minimizing her, her loss and all that. And I, I agree. Like when you lose someone, you know, that, that really sucks. Whether, you know, if you've been together for that long, really sucks, but you know, that's between them. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Well, we've just, we, we've just seen everything turned, uh, yeah. you know, for, for their benefits. Uh, and, yeah. and we've seen in, in the courtrooms, you know, we've, we've got these judges allowing the prosecution to show video of things that have absolutely nothing to do with the defendant and what happened exactly. with them that day, because they're trying to create this, this story, this picture, this narrative, exactly. and then they reject the defense's uh, request yeah. to show any exculpatory evidence. Yeah. So it, it's just, you know, it, it's a mess. And we, we know that there is, there's no such thing as a fair trial in, yeah. uh, in the DC courts. Yeah, I know. And there probably isn't no such thing as a fair trial regardless, you know, even outside of DC but specifically for Trump supporters. Now, being caught up in this system right now, I see why people are so upset because unless you're in it, you don't really know how disadvantaged you are. Yeah. You know, especially when you're being like, you know, framed in this light or, you know, you have the whole weight of the government on your ass or on your back, excuse me. And, you know, you have a court appointed attorney, the public defender, who really doesn't care. He just wants to get it over with or whatever. So it's very frustrating and it's very sad that, um, you know, and I, uh, I was listening to a podcast in there called uh, wrongful convictions, I believe um, where people were convicted of crimes and sitting 20, 30 years in jail for a rape or a murder that they found out 20 years later, they did, they didn't do. 
So I'm listening to these podcasts and I'm like losing my mind. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be me. Because I would have been looking at a capital murder case. So for for three months, for the 100 days we were in there, I, you know, maybe like 70 days, I was worried that I was going to be hit with a murder charge. And that's really what they wanted to do. And by the grace of God, this medical examiner, um, you know, he could have fudged the paperwork and then they cremated him and goes, all right, boom, let's figure it out later. Could have did could have did that, you know, let's let's talk about uh, this lawsuit that you're now facing, along with uh, your co-defendant, Julian Cater and yeah. Donald J. Trump. Yeah. So I'm just charging up my thing here. Um, let me just uh, lower this brightness a little bit because I'm on I'm on an iPad. Um, so, yeah, now I'm being sued for ten million dollars. I was we're both we're each getting sued for ten million dollars. Um, and that's going to charity, they stated. Uh, the attorneys that are presented this are like four DC attorneys that have like multiple lawsuits against Donald Trump already from previous years and all this craziness. And uh, who are the who are the victims in this in this lawsuit? Sandra Garza and the family of Brian Sicknick. Okay. So, so this is pregnant. this is the woman who was his girlfriend maybe seven months ago, and then suddenly right. she's now his wife. Okay. Right. Um, you know, it's ironic. Well, when they made the impact statements and we found all the officers were coming, I really wasn't going to go to trial. I told my attorneys, I said, I'm I'm taking it back. We're going to trial. Like you could tell them I'm not even showing up. You know, and they were like, You can't do that. You know, we were made it this far. You don't want to fight, you already won. Why fight another battle? You know, you worry about this lawsuit because I found I was being sued now. And I'm like, damn, like. So so at what point did this lawsuit come out? Was this um, after fifth. you had agreed to take the plea, but you had. Yeah, but before my yet? sentencing. Right. Okay. Before my sentencing. So after the plea agreement, before my sentencing. So I was getting all these signs to just take it back. But um, we ended up going through with it. And uh, Julian got 80 months. I got time served, 100 hours community service and uh, one year probation. After already being on for five for a year and a half, you know, I had a, I had an ankle monitor on for a year and a half. Couldn't go outside after six p.m., seven p.m. So you know, and that's for two trust two misdemeanors. So two misdemeanors is six months maximum and a thousand dollar fine. Well, they ended up hitting me for like eighteen hundred. But the lawsuit is where I'm really like concerned about. I'm trying to find some attorneys, and this is kind of why I'm here. Um, I'm trying to find some attorneys and some financial help to help hire these attorneys. Because now that it's a civil matter, I'm, I don't know who to turn to for help. I, uh, you know, there's many organizations out there, but they're more in a criminal capacity and they have like families to worry about, you know, and people like their breadwinners aren't home. But whereas I am, I'm, I'm, you know, taking care of myself now and the family, but uh, this $10,000 retainer for my attorneys, and it could possibly cost me 70, 80 to a hundred thousand dollars. And that goes for Julian as well. I think he's, his father has put out well over a quarter million dollars for his legal defense. Um, and we're just kind of stuck right now. We don't know who to hire because these attorneys don't want to take it. It's like yeah. it's like a legal death punch if you take this type of case because that's how the system is working. You know, there, there's a lawfare going on against anybody that was pro-Trump or anybody willing to stick up for us. So we're, it's like a catch-22 for us. You know, we don't, we can't get attorneys and we can't afford them even if we can't get them. So, um, 
you know, here I am now. I, I don't know what to do. So I did. I, I've talked to several people, but some of them kind of want to exploit it to some extent. Um, but I'm here now. Like you're my first interview, and the reason why you came, you know, I somebody connected us, and I've seen some of your interviews, and uh, you know, I want to start getting my story out, the truth out. Um, and I know that might be against some attorneys' wills or wishes, simply because they can use any words against me. But I'm innocent. The bear spray was never used. He died of natural causes. I had nothing to do with it. They can't reframe me into that. There was many things that transpired that day. Yeah. Laundry list. And to put it on me is like, wait a minute. You know, first you'd be putting it on the spray company. This is a non-lethal device, right? If they were to say it was because of that, man, they better pull it off of every Walmart, every Kmart. Every uh, convenience store, these, these are the little cans that are found in every candy aisle. You know, as you're walking out, a little keychain that you have, a little pink one that you pull out when somebody's trying to take your purse, it's that. Yeah. And, 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 if, and if the police are using it, then they're using, oh. at this point with this new definition, then they're using lethal force oh. in situations I mean, where, where that's not called for. They, they got the tanks out there. They're spraying tanks, like all kinds of stuff. Well, that's the thing is, Officer Edwards, she said at the J, at the J6 Select Committee event that we've been trained on on on, on uh, mace or whatever they call it pepper spray uh, in boot camp or whatever it is, but this was stronger than that. And he turned as white as this sheet of paper, and she held up the sheet of paper, you know, of like dramatizing. But it's proven that bear spray was never used and if anything was used it was a little can and that wasn't you know that's like the lowest form potency of this type of um, chemical i had a guy that used to work for me this is how this is how little potency is i used to have a bouncer that used to work for me in a restaurant he would take the spray and spray it in a sandwich as like hot like uh, like a uh, hot sauce and he, would <laughs> he was it. using pepper spray for his for his yeah. uh He's, he's yeah. crazy. This dude, this dude's nuts. Because we used to like, you know, we were in like the bar scene up until four and, you know, 18 a party, 21 to drink here. So, you know, everyone is like super inebriated. Not me. I'm running my restaurant. You know, uh, we almost won best restaurant, college restaurant in the country because of the vibe. And it's just like, it was such a unique experience. But, um, you know, that's how like, you know. <laughs> spraying it in the sandwich he's like spray this in the sandwich don't put the hot sauce spray this i'm like what are you crazy after like the third time i was like this guy's nuts and he did like 15 years in jail prior to that so but anyway that's how you know common this this device is and um and now it's you know white as white as this paper well when you watch the video he had gotten well i don't even know how she saw that like the story didn't make any sense you know, her story just does not make sense so unfortunately, that's not going to come out in court because we took the plea deals. And of course, the government didn't want us to go to court because it would have been very bad for them. Yeah. It would have the truth. Yeah, they, it, it's interesting uh, the, the timing of all of this and how they were trying to push you guys so hard to take the plea deal. I mean, right. not that we haven't seen them trying to do that with with others. And, and right. then, you know, and then it comes down to basically tampering with witnesses or extortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the way they're handling this, especially when there's co-defendants in the case, um, it's it's very very shady. I know. And, uh, yeah, they knew if you took the plea, then 
then you you are pleading guilty to to crimes and and then they they knew that they could turn around because really ultimately they're going after donald trump yeah. so in this case when you're on <clears throat> when you're on a lawsuit with with uh with donald trump and 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 jillian cater as your as your co-defendants it's all about uh-huh. trump. does it come up no it's blurry no it's 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 blurry. It, it says donald trump julian cater and george tanyos i never in a million years would i think that i would be on a piece of paper with his name and in this capacity, like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah, I bet. But, you know, after after that, the Monday after, his wife, his fiance, his girlfriend, I'm not sure, she did a podcast and said she agreed with the sentencing. And the sentencing for me was time served, two misdemeanors, trespassing disorderly conduct. Okay, you want to call me that? I had to pay a fine to the Capitol, the architect of the Capitol. Like I, when I signed, when I went to go sign that check, which they returned because the fine ended up being more than when the initial agreement was to the architect of the Capitol for destruction of property. I didn't destroy it. But yeah. what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do at that point? You're like, you got the weight of the government on, on your back. You just want to move it forward. But she said she agreed with the sentencing. Now, Julian got, ended up, all the charges got dropped. To two, to two assaults, but he ended up getting eight years. And I think once it comes out, Officer Sickney was the furthest one away, which means if anyone was to be assaulted, it would have been the first two officers, not the last one, you know, because this spray only goes eight feet. And there was no way possible with the wind that day that that would have happened outside of other, other things that transpired that day. Yeah. So I, I really don't want to speculate. I'll leave that to the court to decide, you know, if it makes it a trial, which I do believe it will, even though my potential attorneys or people I've talked to in this realm think that for sure it would get tossed out. But with the judge that's on the case um, and in this situation, uh, Judge Meta is actually on the case um, and it's a jury trial in D.C. Yeah. So and he's the guy that had the first Oath Keeper trials. He's got three other lawsuits. Who knows how many lawsuits, but. There's an agenda here, and unfortunately for for me and for the American people, that that agenda is is working against us all. And um, you know, this is a government for the people, by the people, not to rule over the people. You know, and that's really what they're doing to us. They're ruling over us. Now, you know, I've said this before. This really wasn't about Trump. It was about the people's vote and what they wanted for this country. And, and honestly, I really think the whole system is, you know, what can one man do, any president do in four years? If he has the Senate and the House against him and this person against him, what can you accomplish? You can't accomplish anything. The system was set to not accomplish the goal except for the main goal, you know, the people at the top that we don't even know about that are really running shit. Guys yeah. on TV, the TV generals, the TV personalities, you know, the George Soros and this and that. I don't even think they're the ones in control of this this agenda that's out there. And, you know, you could say New World Order now because now it's it's a common phrase. Now, now they've now they've told us they've they've oh. uh, they've told us about the New World Order. Oh, they yeah. tell you they've, they've you called know, they, it that. Yeah. It's it's clear as day now. Even now, I'm like shy to say it. Like if I say it, I feel like oh, because when when you kind of said it before. 
people are like, oh, you're crazy. You know, like, and you hear that so many times, you just stop saying it, you know? And then now that everybody's saying it, it's like, well, you can't say that or it's a dirty word, but that's how they normalize these types of things. Yeah. And, you know, I was just an average Joe Schmo just running my restaurant, you know, you know, just trying to make a living, trying to set my future up for my kids. And, um, you know, it was all taken away from me. And now I have this lawsuit and, you know, I really didn't, I didn't really didn't think it was about Donald Trump. I think it was just about like the will of the people really wanted this outsider in. Now, was there election fraud? I, I firmly believe there was a hundred percent. And I asked my attorneys, are they going to ask me at court? Because I'm going to tell them the truth. Now, I don't care what a million judges say. I don't care what a professor tells me. They're being told what to say, or they're being, they have their own, you know, there are alternate facts out there, but that's based on what your knowledge, you know, and I don't know. It was shady. I was watching TV just like everyone else. Um, but like we were talking about yesterday, like this footage all going out to Fox News. Fox News. What is Fox News? Fox News to me is nothing. I don't even watch Fox News. I used to watch CNN, actually. I, I used to watch CNN religiously because I, I thought it was more entertaining to see what the other side was thinking. You know? Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you what, it, it also opens the door for the uh, the left, which they immediately started doing right. because they, they still act like we, uh, we are all following Fox News, yeah. which uh, those of us who are awake definitely aren't, yeah. um, except maybe for Tucker. But to say, you know, that this, that, uh, that we're going to manipulate, or not we, yeah. but that, uh, that, that Fox, the Tucker is going to manipulate it and put it out, you know, in a lying form. So, so this isn't, uh, you know, someone in the middle who who has trust from both sides who is no, who is no. known to be truly you know a um an investigative journalist who is always in search of the truth right. and uh you know that's that's who should have gotten this and and why it went to Tucker Carlson is is beyond me yeah it's you know i, I he did fight for us and he did mention us and he but so did so many other people and you know, it's just so bizarre. Um, I feel like it's just all, it's all BS and they just keep kicking the can and, and it buys them another two weeks and then, then something else buys them another week. Now, you know, unfortunately, Jimmy Carter, who's election denier number one, let's, let's just call him the oldest election denier, denier there is right now. You know, once he passes away, which could be a week from now, two weeks from now, that'll be like a month long situation where, the, you know, the news cycle, that's how people work now. And anybody that understands media and how to mass manipulate, you know, manipulate the masses knows that that's how it works. And that's why we're in this situation here. You know, orange man bad and oh, Trump did this and Russia, but they're still screaming Russia, Russia. And those are the same people that were in charge of other situations that, you know, it's just so bizarre that like everybody's falling for the same playbook over and over. And that playbook is probably 100 years old, 60, 70 years old, you know, yeah. how to instill communism in a country. Uh, you know, I didn't read these books until I was in jail, actually. And I yeah. always wanted to read like, you know, Karl Marx's book, not because I want to, I'm a Marxist or anything, but I wanted to know what, what are, what is all this? What is, well, it's, it's, the, it's the art of war, know, knowing your art of knowing war. Your enemy yeah, I didn't read that and, until uh, I was in jail. And, and yeah. I, I knew parts of it. But when I read it, I was like, man, this is such a simple formula and a simple concept that it's worked, it's withstood the test of time, you know? And if everybody understood, and this is why they want to erase history, they don't want people to know what their history is and how 
things got to where they are, you know, not to get too conspiratorial here, but um, I'm thinking about holding a space at night, like at the conspiracy hour with the January Sixer, because because uh, there's so much pe- people don't know. Like, I think people know certain things and I'm not even that really educated on this matter. But, you know, when I think about it, I probably am a lot more than other people. But um, you know, people in our circle know this stuff, whereas other people have never heard of you know, the communist manifesto, the rules of radicals and Solansky, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, what the heck? And if they knew it, they would be like, wow, this is really happening right now to us. And unfortunately for us, like we're caught up in this crazy world where, you know, we got this president in there. Um, He's doing a great job, Joe Biden, by the way. Oh yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I don't know if I, 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 when I, my exit interview caught a little comedy, comedic break here uh my exit interview a reporter comes up uh um i can't think of his name flack the hack i call him flack the hack uh eric hack from dc comes up with the microphone mr tanyos you have anything to say to the camera i said yeah and we were they were when we were in there when they knew i was getting out they're like what are you gonna say when you leave because we're all like all oh, the reporters are gonna be out there so i don't know and one guy's like just speak arabic you know or, you know, you should sing the national anthem or say Allah Akbar, that type of stuff. So <laughs> they were thinking of all this crazy stuff to say. And uh, we did, um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to say Corn Pop was a bad dude. Like, no <laughs> way, no way. I was like, oh, all right, we'll see you. So they let me sit there. It took like 10 hours to get exit. And it's so crazy because like when you're in there, you get institutionalized. I sat in this changing room. I didn't realize the door wasn't locked. But I was in there for like an hour and I'm waiting for the lady to come open the door for me. She's like, come on, man, your time's up. You can come out. I'm like, can you open the door? She's like, it's unlocked, you know, the changing room. And I'm thinking like, damn, like I'm really like institutionalized in three months. Yeah. But when you finally when you finally get out that door, it's like night and day. You know, you're in jail and then you're out of jail right from that door. And there's nobody there to like hold your hand, like, you know, that type of thing. So the reporter comes out. What do you got to say, sir? I said. Joe Biden is doing an excellent job. And he's like, excuse me? And I could see it in his eyes and a sense that he felt like he was a conduit between me and the president of the United States. You know, like, what would you like to say to Joe Biden? I said, he's doing a great job. And this, this was the week of Afghanistan. So I was probably the only man in the world that probably said that. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's and I, awesome. <laughs> and then I said, uh, I said, yeah, Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he's like, Corn Pop? Who's Corn Pop? I said, Corn Pop, man. He's like, I don't know who Corn Pop is. And he got burned, but he didn't air that. He he retweeted it and he was trying to run with this, but he, he quietly pushed it to the side. Mm-hmm. But the guys in jail found out about it and they took a they they made him laugh pretty good. So I was kind of like the class clown in there to some extent. But uh but yeah, well, here um, I am there. You know, I I want to make sure that um that everybody checks out your, your give, send, go, because, uh, you know, this is, this is a big case and, uh, you definitely, you know, need some help and support in being able to obtain, you know, good legal defense, uh, for this civil suit, uh, that includes, uh, Donald Trump as your co-defendant. Um, it's, I mean, to to come after you for $10 million and try to blame you, uh, in a wrongful death when, when it's, it's very clear that uh, you had you had no involvement in yeah. the um, the natural cause death yeah. of of Brian Sicknick and and how how when there's a a um, you know when the when the autopsy says uh, death by natural causes I I just <laughs> don't see how that can't be like kicked out of of court you know yeah. you know 
the with with a civil case, I guess the the standards are lower to like mm-hmm. than a criminal one. But mm-hmm. that like you know it kind of makes no sense. The judge at my sentencing, after letting the family speak for an hour and change, and I was actually wearing a mask in there. I was like the only one wearing a mask. I wore an N95 mask. Um, I wasn't feeling good that day, but uh, I didn't wear a mask. I wore a mask so I could speak to my attorney and not, you know, whatever. But he threw, after he spoke for like an hour and change and called us murderers and all this, the judge said, listen, the elephant in the room is this man's death. I am sympathetic to your feelings pretty much, but these men are charged with murder and we're not ruling on that today. We're not here to rule on that. And it said, he quoted natural causes, no indicate, you know, uh, disease alone. If an injury contributed to the manner of death, it would not be considered natural, right? Which means if he was injured, this wouldn't be considered natural, which he died of natural causes. So it was amazing that like, oh, it felt like, oh my God, like, okay, the judge is finally on my side to some extent, but that's not the civil case. You know, the civil case is a completely different ballgame. Now, I think they're going to run with this narrative. This is why I want to get ahead, not ahead of the story, but I want to get out from my side because, you know, they want to run with this story so they can run it, run it, run it. And as it gets closer to election time, they can still say Trump caused this man's death. It wasn't this. It wasn't us. It wasn't Trump. If anything, it was the lack of, of uh, um, you know, security at that day. You know, these guys, say they set us up. They set us all up. And that's what they did. These guys were pawns, just like us, just like I'm a pawn in, in, in this world. These officers are pawns too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you can see their frustrations, you know, and I, yeah. you know, when, as you start seeing the footage, you see their frustrations like, man, we're set up. And you know, what are you going to do if your team, you're the team blue and team red is a million, you know, whatever thousands of people and you're team blue and you're like, Oh shit. Like, you know, and they already have animosity toward Trump supporters, some of them. But the one guy, the one officer that wore the red hat, he was able to walk around wherever he wanted. You know what I'm talking about? He got laid off or he got suspended for that. Yeah. I bet you if they all put red hats on that day, not a single incident would happen. Yeah. You know, and that red hat isn't isn't Donald Trump. It's make America great again. Yeah. You know, it's not about Trump. It doesn't say Trump again or make Trump great again. It doesn't say that. It says make America great again. We all stand for one flag. We're all here, red, white, and blue. You know, it's funny at the Super Bowl now, they were all crying and everyone's like, yeah, it's great to see people crying at the, you know, national anthem, but it's all bullshit. It's all there to make you believe that, oh, it's they're for America. These people aren't for America. They want to cause this community, you know, they're for Ukraine. They're allowing tens of millions of dollars, billions of dollars getting sent over to Ukraine. Where's is, where is that money coming from? They want to put their, pay their pension. So people need to really wake up. Um, and if I'm just an average Joe Schmo and they did this to me, they could do this to anybody. You know, if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, this shit, I can only imagine what those people in China go through or Domin- uh, Cuba. You, know, you can't say a word. Like, you know, it's really sad. That day there was more Chinese people than I've seen anywhere else. Like there was tons of Chinese people that day. Chinese signs basically saying, please don't let this happen you know, in America, like it's happening in China. Yeah. We know if you don't, if your phone doesn't flash green or flash red, you don't get through, you know, whatever Yeah. system they're using there. And that's what's happening here. So God help us. And uh, I appreciate our time here. Thanks for, um, you know, calling some attention to my, 
my plight here. And I'm not trying to take away from anyone. I'm not, I, I can provide for my family, but I, there's no way I can afford these attorneys. And, uh, you know, hopefully it gets tossed out, but I don't know. Well, I hope so too. And uh, we'll definitely be praying for you and your family uh, yeah. in, in this. And, and uh, yeah, please, please everybody, you know, uh, you know, pray about it. Think about it. Uh, check out George's um, Gibson Go. And uh, if, you, if you're able, you know, make a donation, maybe even a, even a monthly, set up a monthly donation, whatever you can do, um, you know, to help him. So. Well, I appreciate that very much. And um, God bless you and God, God bless everybody listening. And uh, you know, everybody is in their role for a reason. God puts us all in these situations for a reason. And hopefully, uh, you know, the truth will come out and it'll bring some type of clarity to that day and that situation because I'm not a cop killer. I didn't go there to attack the Capitol. Nobody went there to, to overthrow the government. Like, how are we going to overthrow the government with no weapons? And it's like, this country isn't set up to like the Capitol's rules, everything, you know, like in Afghanistan where they come in and take over the country, like a real insurrection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. Like I'm not going to be in West in DC telling the people in California, Hey, you're going to raise taxes or you're going to drop taxes. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, and they keep saying democracy. How come nobody was charged with insurrection for yeah. all insurrection is how come nobody was charged with it? Yeah. You know, they got these poor guys on sedition, but it's all bullshit. Yeah. I feel bad. But... Yeah. Well, thank you so much, George. And, uh, uh, you know, keep me posted on what's going on with, with your case and everything. And, and if you have a, a message that you need to get out in the future, uh, you know, just reach out because uh, my platform is for your voices. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people working to help all of us out. And I really appreciate everybody's effort. Um, you know, and hopefully we all get through this. And if our president, you know, if Donald Trump makes it back in office by the grace of God, which is probably what's going to need to happen because the situation is dire. If they pulled this off last time with everything going on, who knows what will happen over the next two years. And I'm going to pray for everyone um, to get through this because this is not what this country was intended for. Um, and this is not a good future for the world, you know, in general, you know, this is not what the world is supposed to be like. You see all this chaos and commotion and war, and that's not what it's supposed to be like. And um, I really hope that, uh, you know, the future is brighter for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, God bless you and uh, God bless America. Thank you. God bless America.